Senate Bill 1042 was a bill that would have made human trafficking a serious and or violent crime, which means it's currently not a serious or violent crime in California, which would not result in a prison sentence. We've got a large community of minors that are being moved by adults and being prostituted for profit. There's a wrinkle in the semantics of what's serious and violent. And of course, there's only 22 crimes that are considered serious and violent in California. So a lot of crimes that you would expect would result in a prison sentence don't. Is this going to change the criminal justice system in California? Has it changed already? Well, if you're talking about the abuse of the Public Safety Committee, it's just a death by a thousand cuts. I mean, all these opportunities to correct problems are just killed in the crib. Are we taking the side of these kind of criminals uh, than taking the side of the minors that are in their custody? Yes. In a sense? Every opportunity that this core of legislators has to conceal crimes against women and children and protect those who are victimizing them, that's where they fall on legislation. It's consistent. My guest today is Douglas Eckenrod, former state parole deputy director. This is a choke point that is literally like hands around the throat of citizens of California, our most vulnerable citizens. And we've got to bring attention to it because there's a human cost at the end of these decisions. Why is human trafficking not considered a violent crime in California? And what is California's public safety committee's impact on public safety? Continue watching to see an insider's perspective. I'm Siamai Korami, welcome to California Insider. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. There was a nonpartisan bill in California that didn't pass that was going to make human trafficking as a serious violent crime. And, and there's certain laws, there's certain crimes that are not violent, right? Can you explain what happened? Sure. There, you know, there are three main baskets of uh, crimes in California. There's non-serious, non-violent. There's serious crimes and they're violent crimes. And they're designated with de separate penal code designations. And as you might imagine, <clears throat> when you run afoul of those crimes and you're convicted of those crimes, the seriousness goes up and so do the penalties. And in California, one of the big dividing lines that was, that was uh, in place by Assembly Bill 109, um, uh, it basically said, hey, if, if you've got a, what's called a non-serious, non-violent crime, uh, does it make sense to send you to prison with uh, the bad folks? Of course, what folks didn't realize is that there's a, there's a wrinkle in the semantics of um, of serious, what's, what's serious and violent. What's serious and violent to you may not be serious and violent to me. And of course, there's only 22 crimes that are considered serious and violent in California. So a lot of crimes that you would expect would result in a prison sentence uh, don't because the Californians have been snowed again, like they were snowed with 47 and Prop 57 and some of the release credit calculation schemes. Um, in this particular case, uh, Senate Bill 1042 was a bill that would have made, I'm going to say it slowly because people are going to think I'm, I'm making a mistake, uh, that would have made human trafficking a serious and or violent crime, which means it's currently not a serious or violent crime in California, which would not result in a prison sentence. So we hear a lot about human trafficking and how serious different entities and different uh, elected officials take human trafficking, but yet it couldn't pass the Public Safety Committee, and I find that an oxymoron in itself, the Public Safety Committee in California, which is, uh, which is a five-person committee that is regularly not staffed by all five 
you generally you see votes on the Public Safety Committee of two to one. It's dominated by the uh, uh, Senate Pro Tem, which is the second highest ranking member of the state Senate in California. Uh, that individual makes the selections of who gets on the Public Safety Committee. So, so it, unfortunately, the Public Safety Committee uh, uh, mirrors the most radically left elements of the state Senate. And one of the, the leaders on the Public Safety Committee who, uh, who's, who's been responsible for killing a lot of, of bills that would have made sense, that would have closed these loopholes, is uh, Senator Scott Weiner. And... Um, uh, you'll see a lot of legislation come from him. Uh, most of it is centered around um, um, uh, sexual bias protections uh, or racial bias protections. Um, but in this particular instance, um, he chose to be one of the two no votes overriding the one yes vote. So by one vote, this thing couldn't even be debated on the uh, on the Senate floor, and and so those protections aren't still aren't in place for those victims. Can you tell us more about the human trafficking crime? Who are the people that are impacted right, right now? Who are the criminals? Sure. You know, um, a loose definition of human trafficking is basically moving somebody against their will to another location for financial gain. In this particular scenario, scenario the vast majority of it in California, uh, within California's borders, is movement for sexual purposes, um, pimping, honestly, is, is, the, is the number one uh, portion of this. We are taking folks from one location to another location, um, and we've got a large community of minors that are being moved by adults and being prostituted for profit. Uh, terrible thing to talk about, but that's what's going on. Is and, there any uh, violence in this process, in committing this crime, this kind human of trafficking. human trafficking crime? Well, from the get-go, yes. In my opinion, this is a violent crime. It's always been a violent crime. Um, if I'm intimidating you and uh, kidnapping you, in a sense, and making you work for me against your will through just threats and intimidation, I consider that violence. But, of course, uh, most people know that physical violence generally accompanies um, all of these crimes because when folks want to leave or stop um, working for you, you use violence to keep them in, in, in basically in, in your custody. So it's always been a violent crime. The threats of intimidation, basically, in my opinion, it's kidnapping, it's moving somebody against their will, it's violence. But the traditional physical forms of violence always associate uh, this type of crime. So why is California not considering this a violent crime? <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, they don't want the penalties for these folks to go up. And then that's, that's the physical outcome of not making that decision. And then you ask, well, why don't they want the penalties yeah. to go up? And I cannot, I cannot account for that, but it does appear to be consistent amongst a core group of legislators in Sacramento that every time they have an opportunity to scale back or prevent the escalation of punishments for very heinous crimes. And I consider so are we one. taking the side of these kind of criminals uh, than taking the side of the minors that are in their custody? Yes. In a sense? Yes. Every opportunity that this core of legislators has to, um, to conceal crimes against women and children and protect those who are victimizing them, that's where they fall on legislation. It's consistent.
What's the punishment now? Currently, committing that crime is non-serious, non-violent, and will not result in a prison term. So you'd go to county probation, or you'd go to county jail, and then you'd be released to county probation, and those terms are generally quite short. Um, and probation is considerably less intensive than parole. And so um, if somebody wants the, the minimum punishment associated with this crime, if it was your desire to minimize the punishment for folks to traffic minors for sexual purposes, you would keep the crimes non-serious, non-violent because they go to local jail and they come out to probation. If you want to um, create a uh, deterrent to these type of crimes, you would make them serious and violent and they would take the track to state prison and go to parole, which is much smaller caseloads, much more intensive supervision. Um, so the willingness to, it was a decision to not take action to make it a serious So violent. how much time do they serve if they go to county jail? Well, generally- So this is the adult that traffics somebody yes. against their will. So this is the kind of criminal that is, right. is like profiting from this. You know, the, the threshold uh, in the past centered around the duration of a sentence. More than one year, and you would go to state prison. Uh, that threshold now has been moved to three years. So generally folks for non-serious, non-violent crimes are gonna do their time in county jail um, and will do less than three years. Now with all of the rehabilitative credits and things like this, you know, sentences are being abbreviated in county jail. Um, if you really want to have a punitive effect for these behaviors that are aberrant, that are taking advantage of the most vulnerable, you go to state prison where the sentences um, are considerably longer. But now they're not, right? They're going to the jail, to the county right. jail. And it's, is it six months? Is it in a year they will get out? Is it, you know, depending it, on the judge, It's gonna, right? it's gonna case, vary, right? but being a non-serious crime, the ranges will it's be less. And so they'll always serve, they'll always fall into a range that is smaller without enhancements than a result of that would get you into state prison, which would be a serious or violent crime. And so it's almost like a conveyor belt. You just keep steering them to the less, least punitive um, uh, direction and those folks will be out more quickly. So when we talk about recidivism, very high recidivism rate for these folks. Um, they don't want to stop doing it. It's so lucrative, it's very profitable. And so for this population, one of the most effective ways to reduce victimization is for them to serve more time. And unfortunately, it's, it's, not, it's, the, it's the best of all the worst outcomes. They need to serve more time. And so this was a nonpartisan bill, right? There was a Democrat and a yes. Republican. Yeah, Democrat and Republican sponsor, um, very evenly divided. I think there were 23 folks who contributed to the, to the creation of the bill. Um, really beautiful thing to see, honestly, in California, where you've got folks working together in both parties producing something that um, would protect mainly vulnerable women and children who are being trafficked for sexual exploitation in California right now. And, uh, and Senator Scott Weiner uh, took a position that that wasn't important enough and, and uh, put his efforts into some other bills. And when somebody like Senator Scott Weiner does that, does it scare others to back off or how does it work? Well, you know, uh, this is my opinion. There's a chilling effect amongst authors. So, you know, if you know the Public Safety Committee is standing there with a guillotine, with anything that's going to um, enhance public safety, um, 
it may dissuade folks from submitting bills. So there's a chilling effect, I would imagine, that would come through the Senate and, and the rest of the legislature. Um, it's a disaster for public safety. He's been consistently wrong on almost every issue, and he's a leader there. Um, so uh, until there's a change in the Public Safety Committee's lineup, I don't see uh, bills that make common sense in regards to criminal justice reform making it through. Do the Democrats that, that are, does he have that much power in, in the state? Well, um, maybe I'll answer it this way. It appears to me, you know, I've had dialogue with a lot of Democratic legislators. The vast majority of them are not uh, far left like Scott Wiener. But they've got constituents that uh, in their uh, areas, their geographical areas that they represent that are very vocal, can move money and get people to protest. And, and, and basically, if you run afoul of them, you can, you can be in trouble with your own district to get reelected. And so this bizarre unintended benefit of this Public Safety Committee's actions to kill these bills are, are that the more moderate Democrats in the Senate don't have to even take a position. So the bill's killed, um, and they, they don't have to take a position that some of their constituents, a vocal minority of their constituents, may dislike that would put their reelection chances in peril. So not having to even take a position on it, it might be simplest thing for them. I think it's wrong, but, um, but I do think it's working for the far left and for some moderate Democrats who, who are afraid to take a stand. Now, can you tell us more about this public safety committee? So what's the mindset when, when you think about human trafficking? And I think there are some other uh, crimes like rape that's not violent. There are certain crimes that it's shocking to hear that they're not sure. violent. What's the mindset that this committee has? So the public safety committee acts as sort of a gatekeeper for bills that come before the Senate. Uh, you can imagine um, that bills can be produced much more quickly than could ever be acted on or debated on the Senate floor. So, so the idea was, hey, we need to create a funnel to screen out the things that are clearly aren't gonna work in California, that are unconstitutional, um, that have no chance of passing. It, it wasn't designed to be a political weapon. And, uh, and I, I've written on this in the past, and I use the, the analogy of the Spartan, Spartans at the hot gates. Uh, the, the radical left has, has found a position, a choke point, Public Safety Committee, where they only need to get a couple of members, talking one or two people, that can kill off these bills before they get debated. And so it's being misused. It was designed to be a filter, and now it's being used as a weapon. With the mindset that these guys have, the, the, the leaders in this Public Safety Committee, how does this impact? How is it impacting the criminal justice system? They must have a big influence over the criminal justice system. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. So, um, you know, as we've discussed before, uh, I think Assembly Bill 109 was one of the, the worst decisions, public safety decisions that California has made in, in, in decades. Um, and coming out of AB 109, there were so many errors, there were so many gaps, there were so many um, failures to correct. This was the one that made a lot of these uh, uh, crimes nonviolent. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah, the Public Safety Realignment So like rape, what are some Well, there's certain, certain types of, of rape yeah. that would not be serious or violent. Most of them would be, but there is a basket of other crimes that we would consider in conversation serious or violent that aren't. There's only 22 ways to get onto the serious and violent list, and there's obviously hundreds of thousands, you know, thousands of crimes in the penal code. So, um, 
but in regards to a mechanism to correct or fill the gaps or at least blunt the damage from AB 109, you would need new legislation to come through to correct it. And if, you, if you've got this choke point there, that's not allowing some of the natural healing processes or corrective processes to realign the realignment bill to make more sense, then we, it's Groundhog Day. It's the same errors over and over again. And it doesn't take uh, much effort to look at the newspaper to see, hey, how is this person that just murdered somebody or just committed a terrible crime, how are they even out? Um, and the answers, many of them come back to Assembly Bill uh, 109. And so this public safety committee, it's hard to fathom that these guys would be doing this to hurt the criminal justice right. system. They probably, wh what is their logic? What, what are they trying to do? So, you know, obviously I'm speculating based on my observations of them. I've never spoken to any of these members personally, but uh, I will admit I follow them on Twitter. And when, when folks speak out loud enough, you get sort of a model of their, of their thinking. And uh, at least uh, looking at, at Jeffrey Weiner's um, prioritization. Scott, Scott, Scott I'm sorry, Scott Weiner's uh, yeah. prioritization. Um, he, um, uh, it is completely centered on um, reducing penalties for crime in general, eliminating the three strikes law, which most precipitously impacted the reduction of uh, homicide in California better than, than any other thing we've ever done. I can come back to that if you want, but um, it really anytime you see him speak, it's rolling back um, penalties, specifically uh, penalties that would uh, impact sex crimes. Anytime there's an opportunity to interfere with protecting vulnerable women or children, um, he appears to take that direction. And I why he does that, I don't know if that's appealing to a small minority of constituents, but um, uh, if you look at his Twitter comments, uh, you, become, you will become increasingly concerned about his uh, representation of the protections of minors against adults. And uh, I don't know where that leads, but clearly with, with SB 1042 and being the leader in killing that bill in the Public Safety Committee, uh, he's made it clear that um, women and children are not his priority. And you have actually dealt with some legislation that came uh, to the correction department that you guys were dealing with that kind of turned things upside down with, with, with allowing the male prisoners go to the female prisons. Uh, uh, can you tell us more about yeah, SB 132, I think, is, is what you're talking about. And, and that's the, <clears throat> when, when you go to prison, um, when in the past, <laughs> um, you would be assigned. Hopefully, I don't go to prison. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, when someone goes to prison, um, uh, in the past, you would be assigned uh, a male or female um, facility based on your biological sex, and um, that model has proven to be uh, the safest way to incarcerate female prisoners. Um, Obviously, men offend in sexually violent ways at orders of magnitude more than women, and so housing them together would be obviously a, a disaster. But <clears throat> again, um, Scott Weiner um, authored a bill that basically um, unwound those protections. And, and basically, uh, if I'm summarizing what the impact is, is, is upon intake to prison, um, you declare what your gender is outside of sexual reassignment surgery or, or um, hormone therapy, I get to tell you 
that I'm a man or a woman and I will be housed according to what I tell you. Wow. So the California Department of Corrections has taken a beating over this, as you might imagine, because you've got um, pregnancies and rapes that have happened by biological males who've been housed with, with females. And uh, I think it's something like eight have been placed right now, but you've got 270 or 80 of them that are being screened currently for placement into female prisons. And, and it's, um, uh, the presumption is you're going to be placed there absent some sort of screening criteria of violence or known threats where you couldn't be placed. So in other words, I've got to come up with a reason to not place you there. The default is you're going to get placed based on what you've said as the inmate. Uh, so we go from you know roughly something like 10 applications per year to now several hundred applications per year, and um, next year it will be um, a thousand applications. Likely, it's going to increase. Uh, where would you rather be housed? You know, uh, if you're in prison, and and um, and unfortunately, what we're seeing is a disproportionate number of folks who are applying for this who have crimes against women. And so again, you know, um, it's um, so you're putting sexual offenders or people that have done rapes and things like that in the women's prison if they decide to say they're female if they say I'm right and there have already been um rapes that have occurred by these biological males that are housed with women and what's crazy i mean this is something that everybody understands you're locked in a cell with this other person i mean this isn't like hey um this guy's oh, bothering yeah, me yeah. like a classroom no you're locked in there with them uh, there's nowhere to go and so it will be a matter of time before there'll be homicides associated with this, um, with this bill. And uh, again, it just kind of illustrates you kill human trafficking penalties that would have protected women and children, and you support policies um, that the California Department of Corrections has no discretion. They're going to have to carry it out. Um, the experts don't have a voice in a sense. In a sense, they, they cannot say we shouldn't do this. Or well, not. you know, the, this, the experts have been saying that this is a, not a good idea for decades, if not longer. And, um, and um, sort of a woke politician who um, there's no limit to recognition of um, gender identity, self-gender identity. Uh, you cannot have any barrier to that. And so this is the ultimate expression of that. Me, I get to decide what I am and where I'm housed. And then, and then, we, then folks are gonna act like they're surprised that there have been people who are raped and, and there will be homicides that come out of it. When this rule came for allowing people to choose their gender when they go to prison, what, was the, what are the correctional officers, what were they thinking about? You know, when the law um, was being voted on and then eventually was signed into law, um, I was physically with uh, quite a few other executives in CDCR. Uh, some of them had direct command over the um, division of adult institutions. And, and universally, everyone knew what this meant. And you can imagine the conversations in the background of what is going to happen when we start implementing this, uh, this law. And, and everything that happened during that conversation in 2020 has come true in spades. Um, I was a correctional officer. Most of the folks who uh, were executives uh, during those conversations were correctional staff. Clearly, we had seen um, uh, rape in prison of same-sex folks, which is, which is a very violent event. And there's been legislation to um, put in uh, place 
mechanisms to protect folks uh, from, from that. Uh, so I find it so strange that we are literally serving up um, vulnerable women in institution to biological males who've uh, chosen a female gender to get themselves in those institutions. This was not understood, not misunderstood by CDCR. Everybody that I knew knew this was a bad idea, but um, it's a state law now, and CDCR is is bound to carry it out. Unfortunately, and they have talked to the legislator, right? So you guys, a lot of dialogue happened between experts, um, between folks on the Senate floor when there was debate. Um, there's no stone, in my opinion, that was unturned. The folks who championed the bill, who authored the bill, they, they knew what was going to happen, and uh, they've made a decision to, um, to support it anyway. Now, state leaders like that, when we have people um, that have a huge impact on the criminal justice system here in California, do they really see the impact? Do they hear from the experts? that these this, this laws that they're killing or they're passing, there's a consequence to it. And right. some people are going to suffer. So you would, you know, uh, to be able to digest the, the evil, I, I don't have a better word, that comes out of some of these decisions, the wrong that comes out of it, you'd want to believe that they're just ignorant. They don't know. They're do-gooders that just don't understand. Uh, I argue that they do understand. These are folks that are, that are very intelligent that have access to all the same data that I have. Um, they're hearing the same concerns. There's debate on these bills. Um, it was fully flushed out in the Senate debate in California prior to it being voted uh, into, into law and then signed into law by the governor. You can't forget that, that the governor had an opportunity to veto the law and didn't. These folks know, but they are pandering to a, a small but vocal organized militant group of folks uh, that have become their peer group. And so it appears that they are serving um, this tiny organization of folks and not their real constituents. And that, that's hard for me to, to understand, but, um, but I'm not crazy, so I don't understand crazy. What's the outcome of all of this? Is this going to change the criminal justice system in California? Has it changed already? Well, if you're talking about the abuse of the Public Safety Committee, <clears throat> it's just a death by a thousand cuts. I mean, all these opportunities to correct problems are just killed in the crib. Because um, they were going to correct Prop 47 as well. Like, they were, they were trying to well there, Yeah, there have been dozens of efforts that have died right on the conveyor belt that never even got a debate. And so if we're talking about just the Public Safety Committee, um, until those folks are changed or the rules change... Or they change their mind. Or we change their mind. And I would love to, you know, I would love to have a conversation with some of these folks and plead uh, with them um, and provide information or expertise uh, because there's a human cost at the end of these decisions or the failure to, to make decisions. If we're talking specifically about the outcomes of, of SB 132, um, there'll be more rapes, more pregnancy, um, more resources that are diverted to managing this rather than rehabilitation or, or, um, or security in the institutions. This one here, that bill, I think, will result in such a disaster downrange. I don't think that one's going to be able to be ignored. And uh, I think we'll be talking about repeal of SB 132 in, in a couple years. Um, 
but uh, it appears to me that uh, in regards to homicides and violent crime, uh, there's no number, there's no escalation that um, the folks in that committee won't accept. And that's bad for California. Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? Well, um, I think number one, the fact that if you don't know much about the Public Safety Committee, please research it. Uh, contacting the Senate pro tem and making complaints about folks who are on it when you're looking at voting patterns or abuses of the positions. I think some public outreach or outcry to the Senate pro tem about this issue is important. But uh, shining as much light on it as possible. And so I, I'm hoping, uh, based out of our conversation, we can inspire some other uh, journalists or other folks to begin talking about it because this is a, a choke point that is literally like hands around the throat of citizens of California, our most vulnerable citizens. And, um, and, and we've got to bring attention to it. That's the, that's the solution. Douglas Eckenrod, retired Deputy Director of State Parole. It was great to have you on California Thank Insider. You. Thank you very much.